0: When I first moved with my mom, my stepfather, and myself, obviously, to my step-grandfather's house, this was a nice house. This was actually the nicest house I had been to by that point in my life. This house was huge. It was near Huntington Beach. And it was like that picturesque backyard with a huge pool, the jacuzzi, there's palm trees and all that fun stuff. It even had a garage where it opened up into the house. That threw me off, I never had a garage where the door opened up into the house. Inside the garage there was all these fun toys like motorcycles and tools and uh, all these cool things. And and there was the most rad dog ever. She lived to be almost 19 years old. Her name's Chloe. And this dog was like the smartest dog I've ever seen. She, uh, so what she would do was, is you would throw a tennis ball in the middle of the pool and she would jump onto the diving board and from the diving board, she would jump onto one of those floating pool toys. It didn't even have to be close to her. It just had to be like somewhere in the pool and she would sit on that thing and she would use her paw to like direct the floating toy towards the tennis ball and she would grab the tennis ball with her mouth and then again, use her paw as a paddle to get out of the water basically not even getting wet. This was an impressive dog. I was so impressed by her. She even had, like, this really cool training where she could defend people. You would pull her collar, you'd, like, pull her collar, and you'd say, sick them, and she would run after somebody. As a junior high guy, that was a lot of fun. And um, this was a great house, but with it came some new rules for me, one of which is in my room. There was a queen-sized bed, and on the queen-sized bed was just this huge comforter system that I'd never been around before. There was like eight pillows, and <laughs> and I had to take it off every single day. I didn't tend to put it back on, but I was supposed to take it off and put it back on every single day. And it was supposed to stay at the side. I wasn't supposed to sleep on it. I wasn't, you know, even really supposed to touch it because I was a 10-year-old boy. And... So what I would do is I would take it off and I put it on the side of the bed and I put even a couple more blankets on top of it. So I didn't have to even, you know, really worry if you know something fell on it about getting it dirty. Well, one day came when I, I came home and had a bad day at school and even you know when I was at home I, I got punished and, and it made the day go even worse. I, mean, I don't know if you've been there before, but remember this is my uniform stuff this kind of looks like this just a little bit uh, more uniformy and just remember still covered in dirt and sweat from the day just falling into that comforter falling into those pillows to that bed and it was such a rough day I just remember sitting there crying God why me? Why why did you take my father at such a young age? Why is my life so horrible? Maybe you've asked something similar to that before. God, why me? God, why did you do this to me? Why, why can't I go to the college that I want to? Why can't I get a pet that I want? Why, why am I stuck in an apartment when really I want to buy a house? Why, why, God, do I have to rent? Why, why do I have to wait for a spouse when everybody else around me is already married? Why, God, have you taken my kids away? Why, God, have you taken my spouse? Why am I stuck with a disease? See, when my head comes to those questions, I, I, I understand, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. And, and God's heartbroken at those situations as well. And I don't have a great answer for you, honestly, other than go into God's arms. Seek out people around you who are in Christ to help you out there. But it keeps bringing me back to a different question within there. God, why me? Why did you choose me? Why am I special? Why do you want me to be part of your family, part of Christ's kingdom? Even though I personally struggle with this concept of family and what it means in my life. God, why did you call me to give up my Wednesdays and my Sunday nights? I can't do things with my friends. Why did you call me to be a part of something else? Not to be a part of just the things that are going on, but to be set aside, to be set apart, to be different. Why can't I do like everybody else does? God, why me? Which is the question we come to as we... Come into First Peter two verses nine C through ten. If you could please stand and read with me, that'd be amazing. Exciting, exuberant. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You may be seated. Thanks for standing. So today we're going to talk about why has God chosen us? And what does that even mean? And that's what we're going to see. First, we're going to take a couple of words, a holy nation. So in this first little part right here, we need to remember that Peter is, uh, (coughs) sorry, a good Hebrew boy, right? He understands his Old Testament, and he is taking that Old Testament, and he's translating it over to the New Testament. He's helping us understand what is going off here, and he's calling the church a holy nation. We are a part of it. He talks about how Israel was a holy people, right? We see that in Exodus 19.6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. See in God's kindness he has extended his grace outside of the people of Israel and to the Gentiles. Now that God and his love is encompassing everyone, his grace is everywhere, he is reaching out. He has brought a covenant to all. It is now a special relationship we get to have with him, which is what we see through uh, the book of Romans chapter 9 through 11. See, we see that the belief of a Christian is there's a change in their heart. You have taken yourself off this pedestal, off of this throne of your life. It is not mine, but it is now Christ's life. I have put him on my throne. that That's the whole point of it. That. That's theology 101, as my New Testament professor would say. Once you tell God you you do that, then you quickly are going to get baptized and you're showing the world, hey, this is who's on my throne. It's not me anymore, it's him. You have committed to Christ. You are now made in that holy nation. And then at at that new birth, a believer is part, sorry, is a part of God in that new way, that kingdom type stuff. Right, they no longer have condemnation and death and sin and what's gonna happen, but now you are set apart or sanctified from your sins. See that in verses like First Corinthians six and Psalms four. So we're we're set apart. We're not the norm anymore. We're distinct. Maybe you've been set apart before. Maybe it's academics or at work or maybe you're a really good musician or or sports athlete. Something has set you apart before. For me, one of the the times I was set apart, very few times, was playing hockey. And this one hockey game, it was like a 6.30 in the morning game on a Saturday, which means you have to be there at like 5.50 because in hockey you need to get there 30 to 40 minutes before to stretch and put on your pads and all that stuff. So, you know, I got there, it was about six o'clock, got all ready, and we had six players to play, which is not much considering that the other team had 20, which means there was going to be some people out there a lot, and I was selected to be one of the people who basically never came off of the ice, I was always out there, and always being out there was because of my ability to block shots. So in hockey, it's like soccer, right? Their objective is to score as many goals as possible. Well, the thing I did very well was blocking shots. And in blocking shots, I would just, hit, you know, let the puck hit me pretty much. And and in one of the plays, I blocked four shots in one shift, which is more than most people do in one game. And I remember I dove across the ice and I was stuck on the ground and I was trying to get back up and I was looking over and this guy was he wound up for a slap shot. And in this slatshot, what was going through my head is this puck is going to go through my head. And I remember just sitting there just waiting. And the buzzer went and he lowered his stick. And I was so grateful that I didn't get hit with a puck again. But see, I was set apart in that moment. I, I wasn't like the rest. I was put out there because of my ability to do something, my ability to block shots. So, what does it mean to be holy or or set apart? First, we need to understand that we as believers are set apart from the penalty of sin and death that is going to come upon everybody else who does not have Christ Jesus in their life. And we are then urged through the power of the Holy Spirit to work together and to become more and more holy, to live holier lives. That's spiritual formation. This means living living differently from the world around us. We are living different than a world that is full of fighting, grief, pain. We are not to conduct ourselves in that way. Instead, we are to live a life in order with the Spirit. And Paul tells us that in Galatians 5. So first Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the work of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, enmity strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, in order for Paul to tell us what holy living is, he tells us first what it isn't. And that's all of these things here. He tells us what living outside of our kingdom, Christ's kingdom, outside the kingdom walls, will look like. It's going to look like strife and pain and anger and all these things we see around us. See, the world around us is not seeking to please God. They're actually looking to please themselves. The book of Romans makes that quite clear. See, inside of the kingdom, sometimes we get really mad as a Christian community when we see everything outside going downhill when really we shouldn't be surprised Everything outside us is going to go downhill. It's looking to please themselves. It's not looking to please God. And as you become more and more selfish, more and more prideful, you're going to make yourself first and everybody else last. See, God tells us that people who are not in Christ are going to be constantly doing this. They want to be in the flesh. And he's actually given them over to their flesh. You want it? Take it. It's yours. Now, Paul takes us from this, okay, this is what's going to go wrong. Now, let me tell you what I have in mind for the kingdom. Galatians 5.22, it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. See, as Christians, we are distinct. We are living by the Spirit. We have been given the gift of the Spirit. It's not the gift of man. It's the gift of the Spirit. This thing given by God in order for us to live in a community that is full of love and showing Christ around us. One of the things I, I tend to get asked a bunch uh, when I get like little questionnaires from students and stuff is, do I know if this person or that person is a Christian? That, that tends to be a, a semi-normal question. Even in a class, we get asked that sometimes. And I normally give the same answer, and it goes something kind of like this. So I, I really don't know the true heart of a person. I, I can't really make a full ruling on how that person is. But in a Christian's life, it will be showing the fruit of the Spirit And then I'll give them the reference to John 15, which makes me bring up the question, does your life show the fruit of the Spirit? Are you producing this, or does your life look like those branches in John 15 without the fruit, ones that will fall off, be withered, thrown to a fire? See, as a church, if we're living and showing these same sinful things as the world around us, showing division, showing enmity and strife, and we don't look anything different, then how do we expect them to come to church? They need to see something different in us, this greatness in us, that we are these people searching to love and to serve others, much like Christ learned to to love and serve others next thing we see in verse 9 is we are a people for his own possession. I want to take a little deeper dive in this word possession in the verse. The word possession implies to purchase or to acquire for a price. We obviously know that those of you who are believers have been bought at a price. Actually, the ultimate price. God gave of himself and of his son, his only son Jesus, which we see in Titus 2. Titus 2, 13-14, it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, through God's sovereignty, he has elected all who believe. They are his. They belong to him. You can't be plucked from his hand. Which brings us to this weird little thing that makes us wiggle in our seats a little bit. Are there elect people? Does he choose them? And the answer is yes, the Bible seems to point to this. We see this in First Peter. Um, again, in Deuteronomy, we'll go through these a little quick. Deuteronomy 7, 6, and again in First Peter 1, verse 9 as well. See, there is a sense that we are called, but we also have a choice free will. These work together because God in his sovereignty and his omnipotent power knows who is going to choose them. So uh, can he have elect people in free will? The answer is yes. Kind of give you a little bit of analogy that doesn't work perfect, but imagine there's a three-year-old. I don't know if you've been around three-year-old. And you put a cookie in front of him. And you tell him not to eat that cookie. You know in a matter of time, yeah, I saw the hand. I, in a matter of time, that cookie is going to end up in his stomach or her stomach, right? He knows. He is much smarter than us. God does not fit into our little box. If, he's a, you know, if he fits into our box, he's not a God worth worshiping. But God is this huge, omnipotent being who controls everything and knows everything, a person's heart, what they belong to, what's going on in their mind. And that brings me back to the question we asked them in the beginning. Why me? Why am I so special like God has chosen me? Uh, one person makes me think of is Moses. See, Moses was hiding out in the desert. He, he he had left Egypt. And he had his two kids, a wife, a job. And things were going uh, pretty decent. And then God, God called him to save the Israelite people. He called, them, called him from there to take them out of Egypt. And Moses came back and was trying to you know, say everything to get out of it. And he said, like, I can't do this task. I can't speak. And I love the way God responds to him in Exodus 4, verses 10 through 12. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with you with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. See, God had called Moses, and he then had a task for Moses. And he was going to prepare him for that task and what was needed. It is the same thing for each of us as well. When he calls us to do something, he's going to be there with us in it. Because in his omnipotence, he calls us, and he calls us to be distinct. So we keep moving on. Uh, the next section of this says, of the verse in 2 Peter uh, chapter two says, who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. So let's first look at the the darkness side. There's two types of darkness. There's intellectual and there's moral darkness. Intellectual is the ignorance or the inability to see truth. The second is moral darkness. That is immorality, the inability to see or do what is right. This is the darkness that Peter is referring to here. It's the sinful state of unbelievers who are trapped by the prince of darkness, as seen in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 1-2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This in here talks about something that does not really get talked about much. And one of the, actually, the biggest lies going on in Christianity and around the world is that Satan is a character. He's not real. He's just a fairy tale. That's not true. First Peter 5 says, he is a roaring lion looking to devour He's not like what movies and TV shows portray him as. He's in hell trading souls. No, he's here on earth looking to keep people in their sins and away from God. He knows what's going to happen, so he's mad. And he knows the best way to hurt God is to take people away from him. Take as many people with him to hell as possible. It's kind of like, you know, at the end of an action movie, There's uh, the hero, he's like hanging from a cliff, and and he's already beaten the battle, and he saved the girl, and he's hanging there from the cliff, and there's a guy on the bottom, he's holding his leg, and the the villain on the bottom holding his legs, looking up at him, take you with me, right, so he's trying to do. See, we as believers are called out of the darkness. We are not there anymore. We are not oppressed by that sin anymore. We are called out out of darkness, out of the world, out of the sin, out of the flesh, as Paul would say. And we are to rejoice in the knowledge that God has called us to be a part of the marvelous light. Which is very similar to what we see Abraham in his story. If you know who Abraham is in Genesis, he's uh, Abram at first. And he's called out of his lamp, full of pagan worship, full of darkness. And he is then called and, and spiritually enlightened by God to be brought into marvelous light. And he's brought into a covenant with him. And he's done this to be a patriarch who has knowledge and to share that with his children, the faith and the understanding of who God is and the obedience to him. See, we're called to be just like Abraham, called to be out of this darkness and into the life and to do and to live with faith. And do this in obedience to God. And we're to pass this along to teach this knowledge to our children. You know, it's kind of fun getting to do youth ministry because one of the funniest things that you can see is when you know the parents then you know the students and then you start to see some of the students serve in ministry and they'll do something and be like I've seen your mom do that or I've seen your dad do that and then you tell them that and then they get like a weird like embarrassed look on their face but that's like some of the coolest moments to see in youth ministry is when the parents are instilling christian values into their kids we here at Bethany have one way to help with that, and that's our catechisms uh, that we go through weekly. Believers, here in the church, we know why we want to be a part of the light. We know we don't want to be a part of the enmity, the strife, all this, this stuff that mucks it up and makes everything horrible. We, don't, we know why we don't want to be in the darkness. We also know we don't want other people to be in the darkness. We need to help in bring them out of that darkness and into the light, in showing them who Christ is. See, we know where the darkness leads. It leads to a life full of immor- immorality. And it's not just the controversial topics we hear about. One of the biggest issues right now that's normalized, and even to some extent starting to become normalized in some Christian cultures, unfortunately, is premarital sex. It's in almost every TV show you watch now. Uh, The stat right now is 50% of high schoolers will have sex before they graduate. Uh, Within that is pornography addiction. That's huge as well. See, we as a church need to come and not just say no, but we need to come to an understanding and talk with these people and show them the light, show them who Christ is. You change people by changing their heart. Part of it is just, for me at least, it's knowing why. And for kids, you see that a lot as well, knowing why. Kids at about fifth, sixth grade start to ask you, you don't just tell them something, they ask why. Why can't I run in the street? Well, car big, you small. Crash, they're bigger. They're going to win, right? So telling that why is important. You tell people in the case of sex that your sexuality is important. It's something created by God. It's this wonderful thing. It's precious in the sight of God. It's to be cherished, and it's to be experienced in marriage, where it can be full of physical, mental, emotional, it's all together. It's an area of your life with one partner where you're inviting God into it, to be a part of it. Not just something to be thrown away for a couple moments. Passion. It's such cherished, wonderful gift from God. I think a Christian artist says it best in in this song, uh, It it Don't Mean Much. and Basically what he says here, I'm going to paraphrase. Everyone on this earth who is without Christ is a dead man walking on a dead earth. He says they're looking for a heart and a soul, searching for everything. They're saying, I want money, I want fame, I want sex, I want drugs. He said, all that stuff, it's coming for your heart. It's secrets from the darkness. It's coming for you. It's what the world wants. But he's saying for him as a Christian, it doesn't mean much to him because he's in Christ. He has been taken from the darkness to light. He knows that doesn't have a hold on him. He knows he can go to Christ to help him with that. Go to fellow believers to help him with that, to show him that the light is more amazing than darkness can ever try to hold on him. See, as believers, we know we're not in the darkness. The question becomes why would you want to leave someone else there? Especially if you know where it leads. We have seen the intellectual light of God's truth, the marvelous light. We understand why there's a darkness, we understand all of this. But getting mad and upset is not going to help anything. Bringing people to Christ, changing their hearts, is what's going to help. See, as Christians, we are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Our lives should be for Jesus and to do his will. 1 Timothy 4, it says, as Christians, we are to be examples. We need to show we are not part of the darkness. We're not part of the strife. We're not part of the divisions. Half the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is telling the people don't be divided. The whole church of Corinth, don't be divided. We are called to be loving, forgiving of each other, full of mercy. And Peter goes on to say that. Once you were a people, sorry, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. This is verse 10 in chapter 2. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, Peter is referring to actually the prophet Hosea here. Hosea chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 says this. As is speaking to uh, the nation of Israel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her by name, no mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. To forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by the bow or by the sword. Or by war or by horsemen or by horses. When she has weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name. Not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in this place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. So, uh, Peter is quoting this passage, and um, I'm going to bring an image up on the screen of the nation of Israel, and we're going to do a little quick history. So um, there's Judah and Israel. There was a split at this point, and Israel here really soon in 722 is going to be taken by Assyria. God has let them go. They're going to be taken by Assyria, dispersed, and no more. It'll be just the, the nation of Judah, which is Judah, another tribe, and some Levites. See, Peter is applying this concept to the Gentile people that they are, were not a people and now they are a people. They are not in this anymore. Because what um, Hosea goes on to say is that even though they're dispersed, they're going to be brought back in, right? They're still going to be a people who God gives to them. <clears throat> they're going to be the children of the living God. See, in this, the, the Jewish people were the ones who originally had the covenant, and when the Gentiles got brought into the church, there's kind of some issues there. The Jewish people were given extra rules on the Gentiles, and there's a lot going on there. And Peter's saying, No, 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 no. They're a part of this. We're all together here. We're all one in Christ. See, God has brought them into a covenant with him out of mercy and out of his compassion. See, the Gentile people, we're all together. Actually, the Jewish people were called in the book of Isaiah to be the light to the Gentiles that they may, may know him. Isaiah 42, verse 6, it says, I am the Lord. I have called you into righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people, a light for all the nations. See, it makes sense that we as Christians are called to be the light because the Israelites were called to be the light. The ones with God's covenant, the one who are God's people, are called... To be the light to the world. See, he has shown, he has decided in his mercy, God, to show us this love through his mercy that we get to be with him. He could just destroy us all, right? We have sinned. We deserve horrible death because of our sin. It's infected since the beginning, since Adam and Eve. Again, instead, he's, he's given us so much mercy and so much love that he's opened himself to giving of his son so that we can spend eternity with him. Remember one of the first road trips I took on my own? Well, it wasn't really on my own. I was following my parents there in a trailer in front of me, and I was 17 years old. It was New Year's Eve, and we were driving through Arizona. And it was one of those weird areas where it like goes from 65 miles per hour to 45 miles per hour. I'm sure you've been one of those before. Well, I was going about 90 miles per hour. I was trying to keep up with my parents and um, you know I saw those those lovely red and blue lights and pulled over and I had the, the dog you saw the picture of. She was in the car with me and I didn't know she, how she was gonna react with the officer and he was trying to knock on the passenger window where he was sitting and she was calm, and I rolled down the window, and, you know, he, I, I knew what I did, and he, he goes, do you know how fast you're going? And I go, yeah, it's going pretty fast, and I go, I was just trying to follow my parents up in front of me, and he goes, okay, okay, and took my stuff, went to He saw so I was 17, uh, and so he came back, and he gave me mercy, right, he, he let me go, I, I got lucky in a sense, but and in his mercy, he said, hey, I see your parents are in front of you. They stopped as you got pulled over, and, and you know, you're just trying to get somewhere. Just said, keep in the speed limit. And so he w- walked away, and he gave me this great mercy. And, and God has chosen us, and he has given us this mercy, much like this police officer chose to give me mercy and not give me a ticket. And God has um, given us much more mercy than that, and he has brought us into life so that now we get to proclaim mercy him. And that's the last thing as we jump back to verse 9, one little section, that you may proclaim the excellencies as him. See, we now see that we don't have to, but we get to proclaim the excellencies of God. What does it mean to proclaim the excellencies? That means we are to publish or advertise or tell something that is otherwise unknown to other people. See, what Peter is telling is people in the church to go and tell the good works that God is doing in your life. It's kind of like what a testimony is. One of my buddies, uh, I actually got to meet up with him w- with a couple of you here at church uh, just on Thursday with uh, Dan and Isaac. And uh, my buddy is from India. He moved here and goes to Biola, and he's been there for eight months. And as he got ready to go to Biola, he had no money he had no visa to get over here. He had no way over. And it was in the, you know, the middle of COVID last year, and he, everybody in front of him was getting just denied for visas. And somehow the person he talked to was able to give him a visa. And then he somehow raised thousands and thousands of dollars to not only fly over here, but to pay for his Biola expenses for the fall semester. And as he trusted and relied on God his spring semester got covered. Then his summer semester this year got covered. And it's those amazing testimonies where we see God's work that we need to share these things. These are great accomplishments that God is showing to us. It's proclaiming the greatness of God, what he's done for us. To be honest, church, we gotta be stop, stop being so afraid to tell other people about Jesus. we need to go out and step out in our faith and go and talk to people. See, if you want a church to grow, you need to go and tell people about who Jesus is. You need to bring them over to the light. Doesn't mean you're doing you know, the work. God can do things without you, obviously, but you get to be a part of this now. You get to be excited about it. I don't know how many times I've said, no, 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 no. I don't need to go out and tell those people about Jesus. So-and-so has that gift. I don't have that gift. Send them. Man, was I thinking the wrong way. Instead, I need to be bold in my faith and not really what it was. It was laziness because I didn't want to go somewhere. And go and tell people about who Jesus is, this great work he has done in my life. Matthew 28 says, 19 says, go out and make disciples. That doesn't just mean the people with the gift of evangelism. Everybody, go make disciples. Go teach people. Go bring them into your life. Discipling is not just bringing them to Christ, that's teaching them. That's living life together. That's showing them what it is like to live in Christ. And then you're, you know, you're strengthening them up as they're strengthening you up. And that's what's part of this. See, Christianity is a life-altering decision. So you take yourself off that throne of life, and you put Jesus on that throne. Maybe you noticed that before? Maybe you've noticed everything going on outside, outside of these kingdom walls, outside of this church, and you see that it's it's just all this ickiness. It's gross. It's just Genesis 3 stuff. See, maybe you've come to realization, man, I need this light in my life, this person who saves me. See, we gotta recreate our thinking, right? This is not something we have to, we get to proclaim who Jesus is. We get to share with other people when I think of how, you know, when I got excited for something was when I got my first car. I was so excited. I would tell every single person I could. I would go and sit in the car, even though it was 100 degrees out and I couldn't run the gas because it was a Dodge Ram. Uh, They'll pull a picture up for you. I I would check the oil all the time. I would wash I'd do everything. This thing was amazing. But eventually my excitement wore off. I stopped telling people about it. Man, you don't want your faith to get that way. There it is. You don't want it to be stale. You don't want to be like, I know who he is. I don't need to tell people. No, that's not what this is. Get excited. You know who the savior of this world is. Go tell people. As we close up today, we answer this question why me? Well, Peter tells us that in God's wisdom, he has chosen us. We are chosen people because to believe in his powerful glory that he has. We are now made distinct, these holy people who are set apart to show the marvelous light to the world, to show the goodness of God. And then we're off, this, off our throne and we put him on our throne, which means we're gonna do everything to bring him glory and obedience. We're to proclaim the great works he has done in our lives to others. We're to go forth knowing that if you are in Christ, you've been equipped and that you get to rejoice in doing the work of the kingdom. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the greatness you have done for me. I just pray for a constant renewal of my mind and an understanding of how devastating my sin truly is to you. Lord, when I know how devastating my sin is, it makes it so much more clear how amazing you truly are to me. Father, I'm so thankful for the work you've done in my life and the lives of people out here who've talked with me and told me about the greatness you've done in their lives. Father, I pray as we get ready to close Sunday service that you give us renewed joy in knowing that we get to go and tell people about you, the greatness you've done in our lives and the greatness you're going to do in their lives. Father, I just thank you for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.